That's right. You are listening to Windsor's Inside Pulse for the latest news, views, and opinions here in our great region of Windsor and Essex County. We remind you that the views and opinions expressed on this show are those of our co-hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of any media outlets or any political parties. With that being said, it is Tuesday, July 27th, approximately 5 p.m., and remember to like us on Facebook, subscribe to your favorite podcast app. My name is Al Teshuba, co-hosting remotely with Daniel Labluser and Christine Brooks. And Dave Sundin will be joining us a bit later, but uh, we are very pleased to have a special guest joining us, someone that we talked a bit about on the show last week. Um, and we are joined by Essex Town Councillor Sherry Bondi. So, uh, Councillor Bondi, uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you for coming to uh, talk to us here on WIP. Good evening, everybody. I'm uh, happy and excited to be here. So let's just cut right to the chase. So you've been in the news a lot lately. Bit of a dust up, I guess, at uh, the town of Essex. There was a uh, integrity commissioner complaint made against you that was, I guess, made by the mayor, um, ostensibly on the basis that you were critical of the, uh, the local utility company, uh, Elk Utility, um, and also, I guess, critical of some things that had happened at the town which was said to be critical of town staff. The integrity commissioner wrote a report. He found that you were in violation of the code of conduct and recommended that your uh, pay be docked for a month as a consequence of that. Um, and that went to uh, town council, I guess about a week ago. I think that there was a four to two vote. Uh, you abstained from that, but there was a four to two vote in favor of adopting the recommendation of the integrity commissioner. Uh, it's continued to be in the news. There was an article by Ann Jarvis uh, yesterday where she basically said that if anybody's offside here, it's the integrity commissioner. So, uh, so, so that, that's where we are. I, I, guess, uh, I guess the political watchers in town always look to Essex uh, over the past uh, while for, uh, for, for some fun and excitement, but we, we thank you for coming on the show. So why don't we just uh, open the floor up to you? Why don't you tell us a bit about what's been going on What's going on with the utility, uh, the utility company? Why you thought it was necessary to speak out, and I guess where things stand today. Sure. So I have been a board member before of Elk Energy, and those board meetings were all in camera, and so you couldn't really uh, relay what was going on to the public. And you know, the the integrity commissioner says, you know, just ask those questions in in camera in closed meetings. Well, it's not that simple. So I wasn't getting anywhere in the closed board meetings. Um, I resigned and I was also served a letter by them, which the integrity commissioner alluded to. And in the letter said, if you wish to be a public critic of ELK, you must resign. So I don't believe uh, I'm critical. I, I'm asking questions. I, I want answers. Residents want answers. A really important piece of the puzzle here that everybody needs to know is that the town of Essex is the sole shareholder of Elk Energy. You know, our taxpayers have put up the money to buy this utility. So it's called Elk because it serves Essex, Lakeshore, and Kingsville. But Kingsville and Lakeshore are just have board members now. They're not uh, shareholders. I've been watching this file since I would say 2017, 2018, when we started to have a lot of momentary outages in my area. And a momentary outage is, is when it just flickers. It's not like when the power goes out for an extended period of time. And that's the system is designed to do that so that we don't have extended outages. 
At the same time, those momentary outages cause a lot of damage. I know the town of Kingsville just had outages. They're asking questions. So I've been watching, uh, looking for answers. You can go on the Ontario Energy Board's website and it's all public. There are a lot of public document, documents on there. Elk Energy applied to the Ontario Energy Board for a cost of service in 2016, 2017. And I saw that application. And in there, the Ontario Energy Board is asking Elk to do several audits. So my questions are in reference to those audits saying, okay, have you done an asset management plan? Are you reviewing operations? You know, it's more than just the audited financial statements. The town of Essex gets the audited financial statements, but those don't give you a true picture. So I'm asking for a true picture because again, go back to that one main point, the town of Essex is the sole shareholder of ELK. So the questions I'm asking are not unreasonable um, due to all of the hydro powers and flickers and concerns we've had. My residents ask me when the power flickers and goes out, my phone lights up. Well, actually it doesn't light up, but you know what I mean? Everybody turns to me and said, you know, they say, you were, you were on the board, you are on town council. If you're not going to ask the questions, then nobody will. So that's all I've been doing is asking questions. Yeah, I'm wondering, I guess it seems to me one of the challenges for a town or city councillor is you wear two hats. On, on one hand, you are a uh, you are a director of a corporation. The town is a corporation. On the other hand, you're an elected politician. And so that's a little, that's what makes being a city councillor, a town councillor, a bit different than being an MP or an MPP. An MP or an MPP is not a director of a corporation. So they can, you know, pound their fist on the table, yell and scream all they want. Whereas, unfortunately, a councillor has this sort of dual role as a director. And if you're a director, then you know you're a fiduciary of a corporation and you're in some ways having to be just sort of a, a cheerleader for the corporation. So how do you find balancing sort of those dual roles? And do you think that it's do you think that those roles are appropriate? Do you think we should just recognize that look, a counselor is an elected politician just like an MP or an MPP? And if if they want to be critical of the entity, they're being critical of the entity to try to affect future change. So how do you balance that out? So that, that's a very interesting question because I've brought that up in two terms of council where I've noticed that the Elk Energy Board members are, the, the majority of the board is Essex Town Councillors, right? So that's where there's, there's kind of like a disconnect, right? Because the board meetings are closed. So councillors that are on the board can go in there and talk, but they can't inform all of council because it's closed. So that doesn't make any sense to me. Why can't council members, council as a whole, get the meetings of the closed elk meetings? Or why can't elk have public meetings and then go into camera for certain items that need to be in camera? So the lack of transparency is really something that, that, I, that I question and I continue to question. Another thing is, is a utility company, I believe if you're going to be a director on there, it's, it's a heightened skill set. You know, it's somebody that has the time to dig in deep and knows kind of what they're looking for. And I'm not going to say I know what I'm looking for, but I did have the time. So when you have council members who are working, who are on five or six other committees, um, you know, can they really give the time and the attention to a utility that is needed? So last 
2019, when I resigned from the board, we were picking another council member. You know, I didn't vote in favor of picking another council member. I made, you know, the pitch that we need experts on this board who know what they're looking for and at and are going to be able to ask those hard questions. So I'm hoping after the next election, we look at the composition of the board and try to look at resumes and look at term limits. I think there's a whole host of issues we need to look at. Um, for example, the, the ex-mayor of Essex, Ron McDermott, um, like great likable guy, but he's still the chair of Elk. How long has he been the chair of Elk, right? There's no succession planning. There's no term limits. There's no qualifications to sit on that board. And we're talking about operating a million dollar asset that is responsible for providing safe quality electricity to our businesses and to our residents. So it's important we get it right. And I think that that's where we could uh, review during the next term of council. Sherry, thanks again for joining us. I, I could tell you as a non-resident of Essex, just somebody reading about this, it really baffles me that a city councilor cannot ask the questions in a format, in a public forum, that really would come into play on circumstances over circumstances from your actual residence. And Daniel points out, you know, kind of the split fiduciary responsibility. And, um, you know, as a realtor myself, the very first thing we do is we make it very clear who we're working for, what type of service, what is fiduciary, customer service. Uh, sometimes we do have to have dual alliance, uh, allegiances, but everyone has to sign off on multi-bear representation. Daniel is a lawyer, obviously, the fiduciary is very crystal clear. It's kind of vague, but to just ask questions for your residents, the ones who voted you in, I would think that would take a higher loyalty than anything else. I mean, it's not like you're releasing public or private information or things that you're doing in camera or something uh, privy to the corporation that you signed off you wouldn't. You are just asking questions. I honestly didn't understand it. And to me, it looked like the, the integrity commissioner, anybody who's coming down hard on you makes it worse as far as the spectacle of what people are asking. I was like, why are you coming down so hard on Sherry? She was just asking questions. So the ultimate arbitrator, I mean, obviously you can't appeal the four to two decision. You can't appeal the integrity uh, commissioner decision uh, once, once it's done in that way. Maybe there is, but there wouldn't be enough time. I think the next course of action would be take your case to the people. The people are reading the papers. The people can see your passion, that you care about what the community is, is asking for. You were shut down on asking questions and the public will reply at the voting booth. And there's your public, uh, there's your jury, there's your trial, there's your, what's public sentiment. What, what do you think? Absolutely, absolutely. So the other night I was uh, doing more research and I found the 2018 debate and I mentioned hydro flickers and I mentioned my style. And I said, you know, if you agree with my style, put the X on the box on October 22nd back then. I got 78% of the vote then. So that was a strong mandate that people in my community like that openness, that frankness, that uh, tenacity, uh, they would say, you know, um, so I'm going to, that is me. I, I cannot change that. The people here have lost uh, thousands of dollars in electronics. And, and I'm not saying it's elk and I'm not saying it's Hydro One. I'm saying we have a problem. I don't know what the answer is. That's why I'm asking questions. I'm not pointing the finger at any one person. I'm not pointing the finger at any one utility. I am asking the questions that a shareholder could ask and should ask. You know, we, we have had presentations at council from Elk 
but they're just the audited financial statements. I want to know, you know, where are they putting their uh, their new money? You know, they'll say we've done this subdivision in this medical center. Okay, but where is the renewal money? Where are you replacing poles? Where are you replacing lines? Where are you replacing transformers? Because that's that's really what the the residents here are saying. Okay, we. We haven't seen the renewal work we'd like to see. So the people have given me the mandate. They're calling me. Public support in the last couple weeks has been, um, you know, outpouring. I would say over anything, you know, Essex is an amalgamated community. Harrow and Essex and, you know, there's, you know, some animosity there. This has brought us together. This is the one issue that. <laughs> Good for people, you. <laughs> yeah, people in Essex, you know, Ward 1, people in Harrow. Ward four and anybody else in between that doesn't want their elected official, frankly, muzzled for asking the questions. I have never felt like our community has been so united. And for that, that's worth $1,500. Well, it certainly is. And I heard that, you know, even got supporters from now. I could tell you this, and then the press you're getting on standing up for transparency, if you are planning to, to run for higher level of politics or continue as counselor, I mean, that publicity you couldn't buy for, for 15,000 or 150 grand. I mean, people see you as someone who wants to shine a light on issues that concern the community. And you're just raising questions. I've actually read your questions that you are not pointing fingers. You are not making accusations. You are just asking questions in something that you believe uh, the public deserves to know. And, you know, certainly, I mean, from a political stance, if you were, if they're not being answered now, that would be something that if you took it to the next uh, level, you could say, well, we'll try and get, we'll get you these answers if you can get more support to do so in a transparent way. Christine's got a whole bunch of questions for you, Christine. Yes, well, thank you so much for being on uh, on our show, uh, uh, Sherry. It's it's very important. I think uh, I'm also happy to see that this whole unfortunate um, series of events, as it were, uh, over the last few weeks, haven't stopped you from talking. Thankfully, and your voice is still being heard. Thankfully, um, uh, I'm I'm looking um, as as a teacher. I mean, I was a teacher at uh, Lesor for years. I I was there uh, this year as well, and I was um, just uh, it was just uh, just to notice that a lot of students had problems with electricity at various points. And oh, I couldn't do my my homework. It was always justified in the county. This happened more often. Tecumseh has it regularly as well as does uh, Bell River. Um, so here is my, my observation. It seems that maybe this is something that is reflective of, uh, or even typical of, or, uh, of experiences of, experienced by other rural areas in Ontario. And I mean, rural, it's not that rural, but still, it's still the county. And this happens maybe in other parts of Ontario. I know that uh, at the university, students who were online this year, uh, outside of in rural areas had also problems with continued uh, electrical supply. So I'm wondering if this problem doesn't isn't bigger than elk and whether this is actually something that needs to that maybe we should be pooling energies uh, pun intended <laughs> to solve this ongoing issue by coordinating efforts uh, across the province to track data and solution options for uh, rural communities and that in fact because I, I personally don't think that it is particular to elk and maybe you have already seen this or maybe it is peculiar to elk. So 
so thank you that that is a good question and it, it is not unique to elk right it is not we know it's not we know that uh, amosburg has had a series of uh, flickers and outages like this i've also heard uh, parts of other communities right people are reaching out saying you know we're not alone uh, you know it's happened before so that is exactly the type of leadership that we need in essex county right now right somebody that's going to to chair this file and say hey you know um you know i'm the essex mayor i hear you counselor i hear you community and i'm going to work to make this better let's have you know zoom meetings with the mayors let's see let's get all of our administration on board and let's look at the pockets of areas and see what's going on also, just because we experience it doesn't mean it's acceptable, right? We, I don't want to settle and, and, you know, I have to walk into Bob's store and I see it, you know, he's lost uh, $6,000 worth of meat because of the flickers in his freezer. When I, I have to face that gentleman and his wife in their business. So I am obligated to try to do something to make it better. So yeah, let's work together. Let's get to the, the root of the problem. Another problem that we do have is communication, right? Hydra One has talking about commitments and improvements they're doing. Our mayor and our deputy mayor have recently met with Hydra One and they're talking about uh, fixing up their transformer stations. That's really good. So now we know we have on record. Essex Council also sent a letter to Hydra One saying, you know, we want improvements. That's on my website, sherrybondi.com. So we know what Hydra One's doing. On the other side, what is elk doing, right? We cannot always point the finger outside unless we know inside, you know, inside our box, we're taking care of our stuff too. And I've asked the question, I've asked it to elk board members. What's the value? What kind of shape is it in? What's the distribution system plan look like? If you go onto the Ontario Energy Board website and you compare utilities and you go distribution system plan, you can click local utilities and you can do a comparison you can see the status of where local uh, energy companies are with their plans. So yes, it, it's a it's a it's a multifaceted problem, absolutely. But let's just keep working towards solutions and uh, and those asking those questions and getting those answers. And there's nothing wrong with that. So Sherry, you've raised the issue of uh, the transparency piece and the fact that these elk meetings are all closed. Has there been any explanation that you can share with us? As, I mean, I, I look at Enwin. Enwin's board, Enwin's meetings are public. They, they used to be like technically public, but not really public because nobody would show up. But now like they're fully public. Has there been any explanation as to why, uh, why elk is done secretively or you know, behind closed doors when Enwin, the, you know, the biggest company I think locally is, uh, is doing them in public. Has there been any explanation as to that that you can share? I remember a by-election when uh, Eric Kazmierczak won. I was helping a candidate and, and that was, I don't know, say 10 years ago or, or eight. And we were knocking on doors saying we wanna open the books on Enwin. So it's just been kind of recently that the books on Enwin were open. I have not got an explanation as to why Elks meetings continue to be closed. You know, uh, the, the, the short answer that I get, the only thing is, is that they're their own separate company, right? We're shareholders, but we have nothing to do with it. You know, basically uh, you, you can't ask those questions. And the other concern that I have is, if you look at the town of Kingsville when they came, when Elk went to them, and the town of Lakeshore when Elk went to them, both of them got to ask asset management questions. When Elk came to Essex Council a couple times this term, I think twice this term, 
the mayor specifically said, this is the financial report. And then again, later on in that same meeting, keep your questions in line. So because we have five uh, board members on ELK on our council, those five are in the know, but the, the other counselors are not in the know. We can't find out and we can't ask questions. Al, you had a question, you had a follow up? Well, you know what, I am, I am drawing comparisons between the flickering of the power in Essex compared to Enwin. And I remember Ken Luenza Jr. held up a, a pipe that had corrosion and talked about this is part of the reason why we're having flooding. And then we had the hundred year old uh, floods and the flooded basement. And, you know, I saw the way that Windsor City Council had responded and it was initiated about saying, okay, let's do backwater valve compensation. Let's do some pump compensations. So at the very least, while we're fixing the major infrastructure issues, at least, you know, individual houses, we can work in partnership. So Sherry, you're talking about a, a you know, a, a, a local store that's losing $6,000 worth of mean because it's flickering. But if that person had a generator, for example, which might cost them four or $5,000 um, during to offset in one of those losses, he could have had it. Do you think maybe aside from just asking questions and finding out the, the faults and trying to, you know, and it might be a 10 year solution by the time they put in all their transformers, Perhaps in the interim, you could suggest something like the city will get involved in buying bulk quantity of generators for businesses that have losses and maybe share with them the cost in the interim, so because obviously there is a problem that can't be consistent and the losses for some people is a lot worse than just a household that, you know, they're hot without air conditioning and they can't watch TV. I mean, people are losing thousands of dollars of their inventory and their insurance won't cover it if it's a continuous event. So maybe make a bold proposal similar to the way city council proposed helping with backwater valves and sump pumps and maybe offer this generator idea. What do you think? I think it's a good idea. You know, it, it's, it's something else I can try to see, you know, what my council colleagues uh, think. It's hard because taxpayers really, you know, if say it's a 50-50 split, you know, 50, you know, town money, 50 business money, taxpayers in, in, uh, utility rate payers already feel that they pay a lot for energy, right? So they're like, now I have to dish out more money. Some people have got generators. Absolutely. I hear that all the time, but also they're like, we pay money and then we have to get a generator too. Like, so maybe it's something we can explore. Do I think the town's going to dish out a couple hundred thousand for it? I don't know. Money's it, it was the same discussion when some pumps and backwater valves, the people who bought it themselves and said, I just bought mine and now the city is offering it to help for free. But then on the other hand, it was like, well, that would help with everyone's issues and help to draw away. So it is a community thing. And, and yeah, you might get some, some backslap, but at the end of the day, someone losing six grand in meat, and that's a community store rather than raising the prices on everyone else. So it is kind of shared. Think about it. I mean, I think, you know, on the one hand, you want to investigate the problems, but at the same time as a city council, you propose solutions. So maybe you've yeah. got some better ones. I, you know, I'm just looking at it from, from what Windsor did. And in total, the community, very few people said, why is taxpayers paying to help someone's individual house to do that? They looked at it in the big picture, like we're all helping each other. We've got a, a you know, a systemic problem. If this helps, let's work together. So you could use that as a, as a contrast. Okay. Christine, yeah. you had a quick uh, follow-up question for Councilor yeah, Bondi. I do have a question. As you may have known, IRCA in uh, Windsor was scammed 
and uh, council tried to get uh, information about what had happened. This did not pass council, and so we don't know how to. I think there's valuable information to be had for all of us and for council and for other uh, organizations in this, but it's delicate because people are involved and their own um, reputations are involved. So how do you see that it making it public in the near future, possibly? With regards to elk. With elk, yes, sorry. <laughs> so, so with elk, it's, it's the board that is being questioned. You know, I'm, the questions are not going to individual in, employees, right? And that's why, you know, I found the integrity commissioner's uh, correlation to the means so kind of outlandish because it had nothing to do with individual employees. So I think it's um, right now, uh, elk utility is in the middle of that next cost of service that they have to have done by 2022. So I think they're really, due to what the mayor did, they're really under the spotlight now. You know, me asking questions was just one little person asking questions. Um, I, I think the mayor, what happened kind of backfired now because everybody is watching Elk. So I think we're going to see improvements. I actually do think we have seen improvements. And I, and I, I, I think the heightened spotlight's going to help. Um, we'll see. Now, I don't know if there's any other questions I can ask on this file until the election. I'm not sure if you noticed, but July 19th, there was a notice of motion on there and I didn't receive anybody seconding it. And it was to look into opening the books on elk and to look into getting the asset management plan back to Essex council. That didn't pass. It didn't even get a seconder. And the reason I asked that question is because I thoroughly watched the Kingsville meeting and I thoroughly watched the Lakeshore meeting and both of those councils asked those questions. They didn't ask the open book question, but they asked the asset management question. So we have our neighboring communities in elk service territory. They wanna know what's going on too. Yeah, uh, Councillor Bonnie, you, you've raised actually two interesting uh, points. I think that the one thing that we've kind of drawn out is that often that these integrity commissioner complaints are used sort of politically to try to whip somebody, but the, uh, the it often backfires and that you get great publicity out of it. And then similarly on this elk issue, the fact that they've tried to shut you down now, I mean, this that wasn't an issue that, frankly, I think that a lot of people in Essex were following. Now it's something that the entire county knows about. The, uh, the, the, people, the people out in Windsor that can't even find heroin on a map now know about this issue. That's so true. Very so, true. Uh, so, so I, I think that a couple of these things to try to shut you down have backfired. Now, looking at how this whole thing has played out, the issue with the integrity commissioner, his findings, is there, is there anything you'd change? Is there anything you'd do differently? Do you, uh, do you regret anything or is it just like, I'm sticking to my guns here? So in the integrity commissioner's uh, report, there was two parts. One had Elk Energy staff, one had the town of Essex staff. In my defense, I parked the, the complaint with the town of Essex staff because it came in on a Thursday. It was added to the complaint after I had done my formal response and I had four days notice to respond. So I felt that was unfair because according to our code of conduct, we're allowed 10 days. And I said, I would respond to that if there was a new formal complaint. I am not, I have to draw my line in the sand and it's not a, and in my mind, my opinion, you can't make up the rules as you go. So I'm not addressing the town of Essex uh, complaint. Um, I think he did in, in his report, but um, there's two different things. So yes, um, I do question um, 
how some things are done at, at Town Hall. I have. I feel like uh, the current uh, mayor, because I was a whistleblower in the last election, uh, you know, he, he's trying to, it's, it's almost like a, a, a relational harassment. He's trying to tarnish my relationship with uh, relationships with other people and with the community because he knows I have aspirations for the mayor's chair. And so, um, and I've had aspirations before the 2018 election. Okay, this is my third term. I'm not going to sit as a ward counselor indefinitely. I believe in moving up or out. So now it's back, the ball is back in the community's court. You know, you, everybody clearly knows my style, my approach, my energy, my vision, my bright ideas or, or out, right? And I think that because of some of the things I've done, you know, I've, I've marketing myself. I have a website, I have a billboard, I did flyers. Um, I'm very active because of my support in the community. The mayor is looking at ways to take me down. And this was just one of them. All right. Well, that actually segues nicely into, I think, what our final set of questions is going to be, which is you said you're running for mayor. So I guess you're you're not officially declared because you can't sign those papers until whatever it is, May 1st, uh, 2022, or when, whenever that comes about. But uh, let's just, uh, you're, you're here, we've got you in the hot seat. So tell us what you think the, the big issues in that election, what are you going to be campaigning on in uh, a year or so from now? I'm going to be campaigning on, on my name, my work ethic, uh, my integrity, my ability to, to ask those questions, and also my ability to, I have built consensus. You know, when the integrity commissioner says, you know, I would be a, a maverick mayor. Uh, well, look at my track record. I've brought forward a lot of notices of motion. I've garnered a lot of support. I've changed the shape of a lot of files, starting right from the opt-in, opt-out. 2018, we had a meeting in December. We were going to opt-out. I made a motion to table. Town staff did a survey. And next thing you know, in January, we've opted in all because of my experience, my political expertise, and my community support. I am a, a policy driven. I've made policies in the town of Essex that when we hire a CAO now, we need a majority plus one because we've, we've had some calls where it should not just be majority of council hiring a CAO. It should be a solid majority. I've put those policies in place. I've worked to change the election policies. Those are another big ones where what happened in 2018 will never happen again. So when the election happened in 2018, I saw what had happened and I made that commitment to myself and my community that there would be an option in the 2022 election. And, and you know, because we've always kind of had more of the same here in Essex. So I am going to present the populace with something completely different, fresh energy, ideas, policy, but also boots on the ground. You need somebody cleaning up, cleaning up ditches. That's me. You need somebody feeding people. That's me. You need somebody driving around a bunk bed for somebody. That's me. I am active. And I, I feel like some days I run circles ar around others and I'm going to continue to do that. I'm going to sit, I'm going to listen. I'm going to network. I started a graduation ad last year with counselors. You know, I've taken my game virtually. I've held virtual town halls with people. You know, the things that I am doing are some of the different things, right? I wanna do a mayor's memo every Friday, keep all of council in the loop. 
the strength is, is that I know what it's like to be a counselor, not liked by a mayor. So even if I have counselors that I'm not friends with, I'm going to treat them with respect. So the integrity commissioner's comment about a maverick mayor, being on council and being a counselor is completely different than being a mayor. Right now, I feel like a crab in the bowl. I can't get answers. You know, we send emails and we're told not to send emails. You can't call people because everybody's busy. So how do I get my information? How do I work for my residents? It's a real struggle. And so come October 22nd, 2022, it's not going to be a struggle anymore. It's going to be a lot easier. One way or another for my life, it's going to be easier. You, you go from being a thorn in the side to the whole side. So, uh, <laughs> so Al, I think you had a, you had a follow up about uh, Essex. Yeah, we, we need to buy we need to buy property in Essex and vote for Sherry. I, I like Mavericks. I mean, as long as you define what Maverick is, you say, look, if Maverick means being transparent uh, and and accountable to my residents, then yeah, call me a Maverick. If being a Maverick means I'm not always going to go along to get along because I'm fighting for the community, yeah, call me a Maverick. If going if Maverick means I'm not in the old boys club secret side deals. Hey, I'm, call me a maverick. Yeah, great. Embrace the name, but define it to who you are. And that's the branding. And thank goodness, yeah, the Integrity Commission even called me a maverick. And you just define what a maverick is. Because I, I believe that elected representatives should always be for the people first. Yes, you are also the head of a corporation. And you have to ride the fine line. But the corporation serves the people. So Oh, if you had to choose, lean towards serving the people and for the truth and for transparency and for what's right. And I, I think just in speaking with you today, Sherry, and just reading your comments, I think I think you're the real deal. So I don't live in Essex. I can't vote for you. But uh, I do like what you're saying. And, you know, I wish you all the best to change the narrative to be, you know, I think the people get it, by the way. But uh, yeah, it should, should be very interesting. And you've now put the Essex uh, kind of on the map. Normally, we would be paying attention too much. But yeah, I'm paying attention now. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, well, well, thank, well, thank you again, uh, Councillor Bondi, for joining us. We'll, we'll open up the floor to you for any last words. I think people know how to get in contact with you. You mentioned your website. I know you're all over social media. I think probably that's one of the things that is threatening to, uh, to some of your council colleagues out there. But anything else that you want to share uh, with, uh, with our listeners before, uh, before we wrap up and let you go? I just want to thank you and let anybody know they can check out my website, sherrybondi.com. And I want to inspire all of those people out there that, that are leaders, you know, when you have that gut instinct and you're, and you want to say something, you know what, that's, I just say it now. So just say it right. And, and one of my taglines now is, you know, they can take my money, but they're not going to take the community's voice. So well, thank I you. I, I think that that's certainly gotten noticed. And as, uh, as as I think we've been saying, you couldn't pay for this kind of publicity. I, I think that you should have to declare the integrity commissioner complaint as an expense on your uh, mayoral campaign <laughs> expenses because it's, it, it's been the best possible, uh, best possible, uh, best possible exposure for you, I suspect. So I agree. With that said, uh, we are going to take our break. We're going to let Councillor Bondi go. We'll take our break. We'll be back in uh, in just a moment or two on the other side. We are back after a great interview with Councillor Sherry Bondi. Really appreciated her openness. We are now joined in the second half of the show with uh, Dave Sundin. We're going to cut into our uh, our normal format with uh, a bit of an abridged uh, stories of the week. So the uh, the first story that we're going to cover is a story from City Council on Monday night. We talked about this story I think two or three weeks ago uh, at City Council. City Council at Windsor 
voted to proceed with the process for creating a new city-owned, what they're calling a homeless hub. The concept there is that it would be a city-owned, but potentially not city-operated homeless shelter. But instead of just being a facility with 60 beds, it would have what's called wraparound services, the benefit of wraparound services. And this is something that was tested out a bit during the pandemic at the uh, at uh, Adventure Bay and at the Old Water World is to have services so that you're not just putting a bed under people, but you're also providing mental health services, uh, potentially job search services. So, so that's the concept. It passed uh, unanimously at City Council. Now, of course, that is just to get the process started. Ultimately, the next steps are going to be twofold. One, it's sort of budgeting this out and looking for funding from higher levels of government. So there was a, also a motion that the city write to the province and the feds and say, hey guys, we're prepared to build this, but you got to you feds or province have to come in and fund this. Um, and of course, the second issue is, well, where are we going to put it? Because like any, like any homeless shelter, it's not exactly the type of thing that people want next door to them, even people that want us to spend some money on a homeless shelter. So that's what passed. Let's go around the horn. Let's see if there's any, any new opinions. We did talk about this a bit uh, a couple of weeks ago, but so Dave, I'll start with you on this. Thoughts on this debate, this issue? Well, I, I was surprised to see this at um, City Council. We, we talked a, a, a few weeks ago with um, Ron Dunn, um, and we, we all told him that we'd be, you know, we'd be surprised if anything were to happen to the mission because no one else seems to want to do this. The city wasn't, doesn't want to do it, and suddenly it was on, on the radar. The city did want to get involved in a formal way. Um, I, I think it's interesting because the city probably is the best position to, to marshal resources from the, the province and the feds and the city to actually try to find a solution as opposed to um, you know, providing a Band-Aid. And, and I think what the, the mission is doing is more a Band-Aid um, than anything, but a necessary Band-Aid um, to provide people with, with housing, um, uh, provide people with shelter, provide people with, with, with food, um, but it's not ideal long-term. Um, and all we've seen so far across the city is a number of charities um, trying to do the work um, doing the best they can, but but really this is a problem, as Mayor Dilkins points out, that has become huge um, across Canada. People deal, you know, cities dealing with homelessness, addiction, mental health issues. So I'm glad to see the city taking the lead on it uh, and, and exploring the issue of a hub to uh, to try to address this problem and find solutions. Al, your thoughts? I love finding the solutions. I love helping the homeless. I just think that we did talk about this a couple of years ago, that there was statistics analysis going on that Windsor is an attractive place because it's Southern. And a lot of the homeless uh, people originated from outside of Windsor. And I always said that if that's the case, then because it's a provincial matter, we should be receiving additional funding from the province and the federal government specifically because we we are assisting more and as word gets out that's okay they you know we will take all canadians we'll take all ontarians no problem but disproportionately to the other cities we should be receiving assistance accordingly so it shouldn't just be a windsor taxpayer uh facility run uh you know, and that's fine. We'll take all Canadians, but th there should be contribution coming from senior levels of government on this, specifically because if you ask someone, and I'm just throwing a number out there, but if it turns out that 25 or 50 percent of the of the homeless lived in Toronto area, GTA area last year and heard about coming to Windsor, well, that's all you need to know to find out that, the, you know, we're, we're hosting more than our proportional average of what homeless uh, people, residents would be from Windsor. And that's okay. 
but there should be a, you know, some money that comes with it from other communities or from the province as a result of this, because we're helping Ontarians or all the Canadians. Christine, your thoughts? Yes, well, I think it's a, a very good um, thing to have an integrated system so that uh, um, people who are homeless coming in for shelter um, have access and can be uh, guided to get other forms of help. Um, it was interesting. I, I spent a year in, uh, in Paris and um, uh, uh, there was a, an awful lot of homelessness. Uh, and yet they did have homeless shelters and very, very well organized. However, these were outside of the downtown area of Paris. And it was interesting because all these people, and I, I knew by sight about 100 people um, that I would see daily in my, in my meanderings through the city um, or my area. And uh, they, they would not go to the shelters because they were outside of the city and they wanted to remain in the city and actually get monies because they, were, they would be begging within the city. So, and, and getting drugs and et cetera, et cetera. So it's a very interesting dilemma now where to place this because you want people to be able to use the facilities and you want them to be able to, to get out of their situation, ultimately to find, uh, find, you know, find the help they need, find the, the, the resources that they are missing at this point and, and to, be re, to reintegrate in a, in a better life uh, for them. And so this is the, the dilemma. Do you have to place it so that uh, people can actually use it and, uh, and that we don't resist through NIMBY uh, by putting it uh, so far away that people don't use it properly? So just some wrap-up comments from me. I, I do very much like the wraparound services. I think that's critically important. To Al's point, look, I, I don't want to be rolling out the red carpet for the provinces or the countries. Uh, homeless. I, I, and I don't think that, that, and one of the concerns that I have about the city spending city money on this is if we become the most comfortable place for homeless people in the province, the word gets out and, and it, it's not a problem that you can solve because you just have more people coming. And so I, I do think that the province needs to fund this and they need to fund it in a balanced way among communities so that we're not having, you know, we don't want it to be better for homeless people in Windsor than it is in London, because then all the homeless people are going to come here. So but I, you do I, agree with the funding. Yeah, I, it certainly should be provincially funded. It should be provincially funding. And I have no problem taking a survey of the homeless and saying, just so we're clear, where were you a year ago? Did, where were you born? Were you born in Windsor? No, I was born in London. I was born in Toronto. I was born in Hamilton. Okay, what are you doing here? Do you have family here? No, I just heard. And if they start hearing about this, this is a case for our social services department, our Windsor department, start sending the bill to Queens Park, start sending it to Ottawa because it's disproportionate. Yeah, but you know, I, I do think that the, the other side of this is, you know, helping the homeless in Windsor is not just, you know, a, a bleeding heart moral imperative to help the homeless. It's also like, look, this is a problem with downtown and you want to clean up downtown you have to provide services for these people and frankly then the city taxpayer has to spend some money to try to clean things up so that things will be better for the non-homeless um and you know in the the business situation so that that is 
the argument, I think, in favor of actually having to spend some local money on this. But I do think the risk that we run, I think that the risk that we run is that it, it, it's not a problem that you can solve with more money because then you just get a flow. It, it's not a problem that you can solve with more local money because then all that you get is just a flow of more homeless people from out of town. But if those flow of people from out of town, they are good Canadian citizens that are willing to work, willing to learn, and they come with a federal or, or provincial government $20,000 a year, and it only costs, let's say, $15,000 a year to take care of them, and that other $5,000 could be used towards training, eventually these could be productive people in our community, and you know we, we can enhance our, our community from, from people coming in. Like, as long as money comes with them and it's not a taxpayer burden. So well, I look, I think I think that there are certainly some people that we can train and get them back on their feet. I think some of the people that are chronically homeless that you know potentially have mental health issues. Correct. Correct. Um, I, I mean, I don't I don't know that that is something. You know, I don't I don't know that we're ever going to get certain people back into working a nine to five job. And so, you know, ultimately then we're just, you know, needing to provide services for them. And I, I think we've got to provide our share, but you don't, but we're not in a situation where we can, where we can solve this problem locally without provincial money. That's really, I think, balanced across the province and trying Agreed. to keep, you know, tr we take care of our own, but London, you got to take care of your own. So, and if they're not taking care of their own, they're coming to Windsor, send the money with them that you otherwise would have used to, to pay for them, and we'll care for them here. Yeah, anyway, uh, that I think that we've covered that topic, Dave, uh, into our next story of the week. Yes, yeah, so the next story of the week, uh, I think, in many ways, loops back to the, the burning need for a uh, the new mega hospitals to get built. So the, uh, the story uh, is from the Windsor Star. Uh, the cardiac uh, cath unit at Windsor Regional Hospital will remain closed through July. That's because on Friday... Um, July 16th, due to uh, heavy rainfall, uh, the basement uh, flooded at uh, Windsor Regional Hospital, and that's where the cardiac cath lab is located. And so now the, the hospital initially thought they'd, they'd reopen the Monday following the flooding. Uh, now the hospital is saying that um, the, the, the cardiac cath lab will remain closed throughout the month of July, um, won't open until after that. Um, there's flooding uh, on that Friday across the city uh, because of heavy rainfall. And uh, this will result in this cath lab remaining um, closed long expected. And it will likely result, according to the hospital, in uh, based on historical numbers of 50 inpatients and 12 emergency cases being need to be transferred to centers in Detroit and London to meet the demand because we can't meet it here due to the flooding. So uh, let's go to you first, Daniel. What, what's your thoughts on this? I think that this is a much more critical story than I think people in the community recognize. The cardiac cath lab is where you send people that are having a heart attack to basically, um, you know, pop in uh, stenting in an emergency so that they to stop their heart attack. And it's the type of thing that I was talking to a doctor the other day, I think it has to be done basically within 90 minutes of you having a heart attack. So this is the, the exact thing where seconds matter. And to have to be shipping these people out to London or Detroit, I mean, this is when seconds matter. And the fact that like this critical unit has now been turned into a splash pad in the basement of the hospital. I mean, I, I think that that is awful. I don't blame Windsor Regional Hospital for this. The reality is that they're using 100-year-old facilities, but I, I think that frankly, our media needs to take needs to focus on this story a bit more because this is not, you know, this is not some elective type surgery or something that, yeah, you can get it done now or you can get it done a week from now. This is the type of thing that 
you don't know that you're having a heart attack and you have a heart attack and you call 911 and they race you in an ambulance to the hospital and they need to get you into that cath lab right away. And if they can't do it and you've got to ship somebody to London, like people are literally going to die. Al? I agree with you, uh, Christine. Yes, well, I um, I just find it sad that 40 or 50 people had to be called. They were um, expecting to get a procedure uh, in the month of July, were called, and they, these uh, procedures were um, uh, suspended. Um, I, I find that's unacceptable. Um, I don't know how it got, we got into this situation in terms of healthcare. Um, I understand that healthcare is very expensive. Um, but I also think that uh, we need to reconsider how, how we are uh, doing things. And certainly, if a mega hospital can prevent uh, this kind of thing, then that should be it, of course. But I also suspect that, um, uh, I don't know, the fact that we have, uh, uh, what is it, water and, and basement areas that are full of water, this is uh, letting go of buildings till they, they really are not in, in, uh, in the shape they ought to be for, for the purposes that uh, are assigned to them. Um, just like uh, with the sewer system that really required, you know, a maintenance uh, system so that every seven or 10 or whatever years we are uh, renovating things and maintaining it at a, at a very high quality. I think that sh should be done in terms of uh, uh, the healthcare system locations as well. Um, certainly, it's very tragic to think that uh, people are waiting undue amounts of time in order to get very, very critical care. So let's look at our next good news story here. Uh, we have Kylie Massey. Uh, the funny part is, is she spent this pandemic training at her family's backyard pool, not necessarily the most uh, high-tech type of facilities, but nonetheless, uh, from Windsor, Kylie Massey wins Olympic silver medal. We're all very proud of her. Uh, this is uh, brand new news. Um, the Olympic record was from the Australian, uh, but still Massey was able to get her second best time. So there's pictures of them hugging. It's fantastic. She improved from last time. She's very happy with it. She said she would prefer gold, but you know, obviously silver is fantastic. And then she's off now for uh, the 200 meter freestyle. So that we're excited about that. That's going to be on Wednesday morning. So congratulations to Kylie and the entire uh, Massey family and all of uh, all of the regions uh, rooting for you. Uh, and on a side note, they're saying athletes, please don't bite your medals. You know what? Uh, all of Tokyo right now is, you know, it's been the most interesting uh, Olympics. It's happening in 2021, but they're still calling it uh, Tokyo 2020 for all the marketing reasons and so forth. Um, so I, that's a side story for this one here. I just want to focus on the success of our great swimmer from our region. Big congrats to Kylie. I think it's Kylie Moss. Uh, yeah, Moss. We're used to Brian Massey, who's also Moss, by the way, but it's just kind of stuck and he's never corrected it. So yeah, French Moss, Massey for, you know. So in, in any event, congrats to Kylie. Uh, we're going to claim her as Windsor's own, even though she's, uh, I think from LaSalle. So congrats to her. Uh, I certainly, I, it was an event I was watching last night, um, and, uh, and I think she's got a couple more events coming up, so I'm sure we'll all be watching it. Hey, congrats to Kylie Massey. So glad to see a uh, local connection. I find it hard to get in the Summer Olympics, um, but, but you know, having a local uh, hero to watch certainly helps out a lot. So, uh, Christine, why don't you take us into our, our final story of the evening? Yes, I will. The local builder with Rags to Riches story makes major donation to HDGH. So, 
we have here John Vicelli and his wife Leah, his daughters also were there present. Uh, he donated $100,000 towards a rehabilitation room at uh, Windsor's uh, uh, um, Hotel Du Grace Healthcare Hospital. And uh, it is a, um, to commemorate the gift, uh, it will be uh, named in his honor. Uh, and uh, he said, I got the money and that's where I'm going to put it. That's the best investment. He is now 88 years old. He came here to Canada as a 17 year old with almost nothing, speaking no English. He says he's had a very prosperous life. He wants to make uh, a difference. And I think it certainly will. Uh, he says he came from humble beginnings in Italy. He was forced to leave school at around the age of nine and came here in the in the 1950s. Um, he started with brick, uh, a bricklaying company and worked his way up. Um, and uh, as you see, he has been a now a philanthropist in our area. Um, it's not his first. He gave 250,000 to Windsor's Regional Hospitals Cancer Program seven years ago. And so um, Hospital Vice President Bill Mara said the donation is a major contribution, the first major contribution to a campaign which is yet to be formally launched. So it really will be a life-changing uh, quality of life impact and it will have impact on thousands of patients in the future. So uh, thank you to this, uh, this family for donating something so important to our area. Well, lovely story there, and uh, thanks to uh, John Vaselli for that important donation. And with, uh, with that said, thank you for joining us once again on Windsor's Inside Pulse. Thank you to Essex Councillor Sherry Bondi for coming on our show. We wish her well in her future endeavours and uh, any future fights that she has with Council or the Integrity Commissioner out there. Please remember to like us on Facebook, subscribe to the podcast on your favourite podcast app. Until next time, stay safe, everyone, and have a great week.